We are in a time where we hear constant chatter. On a frequent basis, I stop myself and ask, what am I saying? I mean, don't get me wrong, I don't think I'm saying anything horrific, or at least I hope I'm not rambling too much. No, I stop myself and I'm asking, are the words I'm using filled with any substance at all? Did I need to speak at that moment? I think I say plenty of meaningless things. I mean, if I looked at a manuscript of my life, I don't know that I'd be that proud. I'm sleep deprived. Thank you, newborn daughter, for that. <laughs> so there's a big task to figure out what are we saying, why we need to be careful of our words. I directed my thoughts to a nightly practice I have. Every night after reading stories and winding down, Jen and I sing songs to Levi and now Sammy too. I imagine many of you have good night songs for your little ones, or you did when they were little ones. In fact, while pregnant with our son, my wife suggested I start talking to the baby, and I was far more comfortable singing. And no surprise to many people here, I chose to sing prayers that were near to my heart. The first one that came to mind was Yehiyu Leratzon. Yehiyu Leratzon, Imre fi, Imre fi, Vehegion libi, Lefanecha. Yehiyu Leratzon, Imre fi, Vehegion libi, Lefanecha. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you. God, let, let my words be acceptable to you. These aren't two separate notions, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart. The two are a pair. May the words we say have meaning. May the words we say move ourselves if they ever will have a chance to move others. Our tradition is based on a two-part system of words, the written and the oral. The Torah was the written words and our oral tradition breathed life into them. The Talmud is our categorized oral tradition in which the rabbis argue about the most specific of details. A page is laid out with a center text and surrounding the conversation about that specific text, unless the rabbis get off track a bit, but we find gems in those moments too, tangents that run for miles, but as the rabbis did, I digress. <laughs> the details that surround the text go into points like context and meaning, timing, they play out different what-if scenarios. It's a beautiful show of ideas and discourse for the common good of engaging deeper and extracting the sweet nectar from the words. And you might say, Rabbi, I know, but I'm not a big one for reading or I don't connect to those ancient texts. I'm more of a conversation kind of person. The conversation that we have with our tradition, that's the core of these texts. When we choose to take the words and make them relevant, we are conversely engaged with the tradition. Look at the championing of Hillel and Shammai in our oral tradition. Two pillars of rabbinic wisdom who classically disagree about everything. Yet Hillel states the thoughts of Shammai each and every time he speaks. He allows the opposition to strengthen his argument. The discourse of words is such a championed form in the Jewish tradition that we say we argue for the sake of arguing. Or more traditionally, we argue for the sake of heaven. Arguing for the sake of the relationship with the divine. We find hints of that notion in our prayers as well. I'm reminded of our opening to the Amidah. Adonai sefer taitiv tach ufiagi techilatecha. 
God, open up my lips so my mouth may declare your praise. If God allows us to speak, does that mean we speak in a divine way each and every time we talk? How often do we stop and think about the notion that something greater than ourselves grants us the privilege of speech? Susanna Heschel, daughter of Abraham Joshua Heschel, said about her father's work, words, as he often wrote, are themselves sacred. They're God's tools for creating the universe and our tools for bringing holiness or evil into the world. Words create worlds. They must be used very carefully. Some words, once they have been uttered, gain eternity and can never be withdrawn. The world was created through words. And therefore, words can ruin the world. God literally words the world into existence. Our creation story has the action of God as God said, let there be light. And there was light. The list goes on. Our Aserat Hadibrot, our Ten Commandments. The Hebrew actually translates to the Ten Utterances. Ten statements of profound declaration, all words, that encompass a code of ethics for us to guide and shape our lives. Quite literally, utterly important words. Divinely endorsed, powerful, shape-shifting tools, words can be. So zoom all the way in to one word. What about the space of consciousness between thought, transaction, to sound? In our Zohar, there is a teaching of the power of all three of these working together. God is present in the micro-moment between each step. Words being acceptable to God is our conscious awareness and discernment from thought to instigation of speech to audible sound. We must hold with integrity all three of these points together more often than I think we do in our current culture. That integrity is lost in the world around us. Our current political scene has lost sight of it 100%. We excuse horrific words, false words, ill-intended words. Some say, we don't care what the person says, we care about their actions. I've watched as that gradually corrodes the core of American discourse. Words matter. If we cannot trust the words that are said to hold value or match the actions, then we've destroyed the trust within communication. If actions were the only things that mattered, we wouldn't all recognize that something happened four score and seven years ago. We wouldn't all be inspired to listen when someone says, I have a dream. The words are imperative to shifting country consciousness. Sadly, this country's consciousness is at stake, and it has been. There are sites like Snoops, FactCheck.com, and others that only exist today because the frequent and horrific acceptance of fragmentation of truth from words. This isn't a partisan site by any means. They are regularly calling out misinformation from both sides of the aisle. Yet the average American doesn't even want to go to those sites, doesn't even know they exist. They consume only what they listen to, only what's reproduced for them in a vacuum for their own consumption. Or a more preschool level context in Judaism spells out letter for letter the importance of truth. Truth is embedded into the alphabet. Emet. The first letter of our alphabet, Aleph, and then it ends with the last letter of our alphabet, Tav, and is joined in the middle from Mem, the middle of our alphabet. Truth is not just where we must begin. It's not just where we must lead. It's how you get there, too. Without truth, our words are without meaning. In a fantastic book 
called Jews and Words. You can see why I picked that book. Famous Israeli author Amos Oz and his daughter Fania Oz Salzberger speak volumes to the breath of life our words contain. I quote, Jewish continuity has always hinged on the uttered and written words, on an expanding maze of interpretations, debate, disagreement, and unique human rapport. They say our bloodline is not a bloodline, but a text line. Our tradition flows through these words. The words being read and interpreted for over 2,000 years is a connectivity of our Dombrit. It doesn't take but a drop of Jewish blood to be Jewish. It takes words. Our words, our DNA. The Ozes continue. You don't have to be an archaeologist, an anthropologist, a geneticist to trace and substantiate the Jewish continuum. You don't have to be an observant Jew. You simply have to engage with the words. And I'll admit, Oz is no fan of the religious perspective. However, what he sees as a secular read on our tradition, I think further perpetuates the point that our tradition is holding conversation with us through words. Our text is the conversation. Our ability to let it infiltrate our individual world, that's our response. If we stop engaging in our text, if we stop remembering these words and we don't champion them, we cut the conversation short. We are the ones stopping ourselves from having a real and meaningful relationship with the beautiful pieces of our tradition. But further, we're commanded to keep these words alive. And the gravity of, and pressure of knowing that each time we open our mouths, there's a divine promise to impact the world. Are we even open to a world in which our words carry divinity? That bringing divinity into the world can be done through our speech? And you might be sitting here saying you believe in God or you don't believe in God, but 3,000 years of tradition putting an emphasis on the idea of being acceptable to God, it has to carry merit. Our words have to impact the world around us. It's a requirement. We need to consider divine presence as the moments of discourse between two living beings, both Betselem Elohim, made in the image of God. Even that phrase illustrates the power of words. What image? Who do we resemble? We do so through the divine charge of words. As 21st century Jews set out to reconstruct and to claim our tradition, we need to be willing to reshape that paradigm, recreate the relationship of written and oral Torah by embracing the words again and breathing life into them, just as the rabbis do in the Talmud. And if you don't like some words, perhaps God is father, God is king or is ruler, engage in the conversation. Redefine ancient analogies. Hear these words as poetry differently and with your own soul. Breathe the life most relevant to you into the words because you have the authority. We do this each and every week during Torah study. We work to keep text alive. We reposition notions. We put them up against modern scenarios. We find context in all kinds of places. If the whole point is the tradition showing us to place divinity in our discourse and interactions, let's be honest with ourselves during the high holidays and acknowledge what we might not have done so well. Has anyone in this room only used words positively for the last year? Have we maybe used words in a way that might have been a little bit more detrimental or be brave enough to admit it, maybe negligent? 
There's a wonderful Hasidic story that reminds us of the delicate power that we hold. It's about a man in a small town who loves to gossip. He considers them stories, even though they're often at the expense and the reputation of others. One day, these stories, they go too far, and they begin to actually ruin the reputation of a fellow businessman in town. The rabbi summoned the man who loves to tell stories. When the storyteller heard from the rabbi how devastated his colleague was, he felt sorry. He had not considered it such a big deal to tell the story. I mean, it was true. The rabbi could go check if he wanted. And the gossiper now felt awful. What can I do to make this undone? I will do anything you say, rabbi. The rabbi turned to him and said, Do you have a feather pillow? Bring it to me. The man was confused by the rabbi's request, but he went home and he came back with a nice fluffy pillow. The rabbi opened the window and pulled out a knife. He said, cut it open. The man was baffled. It was going to make a mess. The rabbi wanted him to make a mess. The rabbi insisted, and a cloud of feathers came out. They landed all over the room. The ceiling fan blew it around even more. Half the feathers flew out that window. The rabbi waited about 10 minutes and said, now bring me back the feathers. Put them back in your pillow. The man stared at the rabbi in disbelief. Rabbi, that's impossible. And the rabbi replied, yeah, that's how it is. Once a rumor, a gossipy story, a secret leaves your mouth, you do not know where it ends up. It flies on the wings of the wind and you can never get it back. The words you put into the world, they have a lasting effect. So imagine if we all grew up with the understanding that we can truly create worlds with our words. And similarly, what if we take great caution in our speech for the risk and responsibilities that come with our words? Sure, there will be challenges in communication. Sometimes we really want to give someone a piece of our mind. Can we give them a better piece of our mind? A constructive and engaged version of ourselves? One better than we first set out to do? To talk in an acceptable, enhancing way, remembering the tremendous responsibility we hold each time we speak to bring holiness into the world. So I turn back to my child's bedtime routine. The blessing my wife and I gift them each and every night. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable. We must make words acceptable to you to foster the experience of life in community. Each time we speak, there is a sacred potential. Ask ourselves, are these words acceptable to God? And if we truly speak words acceptable to God and connect the words of our mouth to the meditations of our heart and enhance the human experience. We will continue the work of creation and bring about the most awe-inspiring version of community, of love, and of peace to our lives. Shana Tovah.